This is Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. With me, as always, is Mitch. Mitch, how about you say hi? Hello, everyone. This is Mitchell Kakalka, new community editor and comedic relief for Central Michigan Life. So as you can probably tell by the title of the episode, today we're talking about Netflix originals, and we're going to be specifically focusing on Bright. But we're also going to be focusing on how Netflix doesn't really seem to have a lot of quality control mm-hmm. over what they put out, or they don't really seem mm-hmm. to care. Because I feel like Netflix has this perfect monopoly on mm-hmm. the streaming market to where if they put out something that's a Netflix original, it's going to be watched almost mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. And I feel like Netflix is totally aware of this. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that gives them the mindset of we barely have to try. We barely mm-hmm. have to like structure a near competent movie. Mm-hmm. If we just throw this this half-baked thing out there, that, that that's all we really need to do. Yeah. It seems... I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say like they absolutely don't care about quality. I think it's very scattershot with quality. They kind of there's a lot of hits, a lot of misses. It's very uh, quantity over quality. How about yeah. that? Yeah, because I remember a couple of years ago when like Netflix originals were kind of like a like novel idea. It's like oh my gosh, like Netflix yeah. is making original content. And mm-hmm. Like every new show was kind of like notable, and like every new movie was like oh, like this like. Wow, Netflix actually produced a movie. Now it's like every month. Like, oh God, they did I mean, another movie. Yeah, like there's at least like five or six movies that they come out with every month. Five or six TV shows. Like yeah, that they could just dro- drop on the streaming service, and like most of them are just not even. Most of them not not even awful. It's just kind of they're just bland movies. They're just movies that they. Um, happen to buy the rights to. Yeah. Um, I believe they're up to about 80 movies mm-hmm. uh, as of like right. this recording date. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of YouTube Red. I don't know if you're like active on YouTube a lot. Um, YouTube, not YouTube Red. I've, I've seen adverts for that. YouTube Red is kind of the same thing where I feel like it's a service where they feel like they have a really strong control of their market. Mm-hmm. So they don't really need to be too concerned with quality because... Mm-hmm. I mean, really, they're judging, you know, revenue based off stream numbers. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really play into quality at all. And it's also mm-hmm. a lot easier to get people to stream a movie at home mm-hmm. than it is to get them to go out yeah. and pay for a mm-hmm. ticket, you know? Yeah. So you're kind of just dealing with, like, this whole different dynamic of mm-hmm. how you engage your audience. And I feel like mostly with Bright, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Bright kind of exemplifies everything that's wrong with yeah. the Netflix original movie mm-hmm. uh, phenomena. For, for the re- our listeners who aren't, like, too familiar, we should probably introduce Bright before we just, like, go yeah. into the discussion. Yeah, so Bright is a Netflix original film that I'm sure uh, most people listening are at least aware of. Mm-hmm. It stars Will Smith as this, as Will Smith mm-hmm. playing a <laughs> cop, sort yeah. of, Um who lives in this strange alternate reality where orcs, elves, and fairies... Like centaurs, dragons. It's all kind of like fairy tale mythology creatures. Yeah, fantasy characters have been incorporated into the real world Mm -hmm. with absolutely no world-building aspects whatsoever. (laughs) There's really barely any backstory, and the 
backstory that is there is so lazily thrown in, it may as well just be non-existent. Why is there a fairy in the bird feeder again? Good afternoon, officer. Fairy lives don't matter today. That's it right there. I'll take the little homie out LAPD style like you do. Oh, and uh, you keep doing all your gangster stuff. I'm just trying to. And on top of that, Bright boasts this very, very ham fisted uh, racial message, which. An attempt at a racial message. A very, a very bad attempt at a racial message. Because as anyone who's taken a literary criticism class knows, or anyone who reads fantasy knows, there's racial coding in all fantasy. Mm-hmm. You can't get away. Like, if you play World of Warcraft, there are different races of characters. And mm-hmm. anyone that wants to inquisitively look at the fantasy genre, you're going to encounter that problem of race theory. You're going to encounter mm-hmm. those kind of racial dynamics. Mm-hmm. Bright doesn't get that <laughs> and instead wants to offer up an extremely inoffensive, very kind of centrist, we don't want to uh, really appeal or offend anyone with our message, but mm-hmm. racism's bad. That's basically mm-hmm. what, what Bright wants to get across to you. And it does it, it in such a painfully pandering, silly way. Mm-hmm. It's almost like as I watched, was watching the movie, I had to just pause the movie at times and just be like, this, this is real. This isn't like a parody of this idea, this mm-hmm. is a fully sincere, unironic idea. Yeah, and should be noted that the screenwriter for this movie, Max Landis, has kind of <clears throat> it, it. It fits with the kind of content that he generates or used to generate. He's kind of fallen off the radar a little bit in the past couple months, but um, he he's um, the son of John Landis. The uh, um, now infamous uh, director from the 80s. But he's, um, Max has kind of been trying for a long time to make his name as a screenwriter in Hollywood. He produced, he wrote um, Chronicle, mm-hmm. directed by Josh Trank, which is to this, to the day, his only real success story. It's yeah. the only, it's the only screenplay phase that's been. He, he, like, he has been featured on like, some YouTube channels like mm-hmm. Half in the Bag and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. He he's been a recurring guest on those review shows, but Bright was like his big mm-hmm. like, okay, this is your shot. We're giving mm-hmm. you an original idea that you mm-hmm. come up with. Let's hit it out of the park, Max. Yeah, I remember he he were he actually like called Bright his Star Wars. Like it, the quote was like if if directed like well, then like Bright has potential to be his his Star Wars, and, and you moment. know who he got to direct it, David Ayer, mm-hmm. the man behind Suicide Squad, who feels <laughs> the need to insert himself as a antagonist, a pointless antagonist in, in this movie, as some gang leader, mm-hmm. for no reason. David Ayer doesn't need to be that character. Like they, anyone mm-hmm. could have been that character, mm-hmm. and he's not even a good actor. He's just like <laughs> he just really wanted to be in the movie. Well, okay, and even. Um not taking like suicide into account, like into account, uh, Bright is very, it fits in disturbingly well with like David Ayer's filmography because all of his films, um, before like Suicide Squad, there was like End, End of Watch, was it, with Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, he, um, he had done a couple kind uh, of training day, he was yep. involved with that. Um, yep. a, a lot of, um, kind of attempts at like gritty realism, like urban drama, and, um, 
before he kind of became kind of was thrown into the spotlight with Suicide Squad, and this Bright is kind of like the melding of those two, like hyper those two worlds, the hyper stylizedness of Suicide Squad, Squad with the ham-fisted attempts at like L.A. gang drama. Yeah. So uh, to kind of give you a better idea of the problem or the problems with Bright, um, okay, the film opens with this huge banner of a, the production company, Trigger Warning Entertainment. <laughs> that that should be the first sign that this is going to be a ride. Yeah. So uh, for all you snowflakes listening, like, this, <laughs> is a, this is a real movie. This is a very intense real movie. The movie opens up, and right off the bat, he didn't learn any lessons from the criticisms that you know David Ayer got with Suicide Squad about color palettes. Because mm-hmm. the color palette in this movie... It looks like I had a cold, and I blew my nose into a tissue, and then I held the tissue in front of my face and looked at the snot in the tissue, handed it to David Ayer's cinematographers and said, hey, like the three colors of snot, that, those are the three colors you can use in this entire movie. And just get on it. And they're like, awesome. It's like gray, green, and brown. The prettiest <laughs> colors. Let's get to work. And it opens... With Will Smith being shot by some orcs. Orcs are, in this universe, the oppressed race. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the lowest rung of the, of the yeah. racial ladder. And they're usually attributed as being the lowest of the you know races in this mm-hmm. universe because they supposedly sided with a dark lord thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And the problem with how Bright sets up the racial dynamics of the universe it's in... Mm-hmm is it completely uh, puts the burden of racism on flawed individuals and not a systematic problem. Mm -hmm. The reason why people are racist in the universe of Bright is because, oh, they're just bad people. They're racists. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And it doesn't address how there could be a systematic problem in this universe. Like, it, it only puts the burden on flawed individuals, which completely misses the point. Mm-hmm. There's a line in the film that stuck with me, and it still sticks with me, as the biggest reason why this film is so tone deaf. And it's the scene, I, you should remember this, it's early in the film where Will Smith is with his daughter, and he's kind of mm-hmm. being a jerk to Jacoby, his orc mm-hmm. partner. Yeah. And his daughter says, Dad, don't be mean to orcs, orcs are people too. <laughs> Which I don't think you could miss the point harder. Like, it... it it's such a ridiculous line. It's equivalent to if I saw a white person being racist towards a black person, I mm. went up to them and said, hey, you shouldn't be racist towards black people because black people are white people too. <laughs> That's literally like the equivalency of that statement. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> I could talk about the racial problems of Bright all day. It's not the only thing we're going to talk about, uh-huh. but... um. Mitch, you got you to jump in. I'm just, I'm getting heated over all um, this. Maybe just kind of like a quick note. Um, you mentioned like the, the um, systemic nature of racism. What Bright, another thing that Bright kind of messes up is that there's really like no dimension to like the different races in regards to like their position in society. Like all elves are like high society. Yeah. And like very um well-off individuals. All orcs are, um you know, like, gangbangers just like the lowest of the low the um, jacoby kind of like the uh 
Will Smith's co-star, played by Joel Egerton, like is the first orc like ever on the police force. Yeah. Like, but all other orcs in in the movie are um, portrayed as like L.A. gang members. I mean, they're L- they literally are wearing jerseys and do rags, do rags and chains um, in like a, a what mm-hmm. could only be described as a ghetto in this universe. Mm-hmm. It's they're very obviously and like unmistakably. Um, coded to like represent like um, the stereotypes surrounding like black people within um, um, urban communities. Right. And, but there's again, like because of like the, and this kind of is where the, the fancy setting like really like prevents the racial message from like going anywhere is because the reason why, um, the reason why orcs are so low, low, um, um, in society is because thousands of years ago, the or- orcish armies like joined the Dark Lord yeah. in this um, big climactic fight, which you really don't have an equivalency for that in the real world. Like there was no. They they try it though. They try it though with the. There's a Mexican cop in the film uh, who says, you know, hey man, people still give Mexicans crap for the Alamo. Yeah. No, we no they don't. No <laughs> one has ever. Oh, you Mexi, you did the out. Mm-hmm. No one has ever mm-hmm. said that. Just another example of the tone deafness mm-hmm. of Bright. It's yeah, just like, alarming. You, you mentioned earlier how like it tries not to be offensive, but like it, it really doesn't have like the choice to, uh, a choice except to be offensive with like this very like um, simplistic like generalizations of what happens um, to with racial relations and. Um, modern society right like you mentioned the elves earlier the elves are established as you know the the rich class mm-hmm. the upper class we have no like backstory as to like how well, they how became that like where humans even fit into this right really. like, like there's no real i mean we never find out like what what race is the president in this universe we never we never really see anything that suggests that like humanity itself is any different um in that line about like the Alamo, apparently like humanity still has like racism within its own community. Right. So right. Whereas, like you just add this whole conundrum of different questions, mm-hmm. and you don't provide a single answer mm-hmm. to any of it. There's a great YouTuber named uh, Lindsay Ellis. Mm-hmm. Have you seen her video? Yeah, she has a right? forty minute, video like a forty on, to fifty minute video, and she uh, has this moment in the video where. She questions the historicity of this universe because mm-hmm. there are certain things in the bright universe that, like uh, the the crypts are mentioned, and she mm-hmm. goes into the history of how the crypts formed and how, if there were orcs and elves, like this would totally not mm-hmm. exist. Like, the movie is a really bad case of building a world and mm-hmm. building an, uh, a film that you can immerse yourself in the universe and the backstory because mm-hmm. there's nothing there. And then what's even worse is halfway through the film, this like gritty cop racial drama gets abandoned altogether. And then we just go on this tangent about magical wands Mm -hmm. and elf children. And I don't care. It's just it tries to blend like urban fantasy with urban gang drama, which yeah. there's a reason like like that's never really been attempted in like mainstream media. It's because. There's really not a way you can do it tastefully. Tastefully, yeah. And we we can t- we can literally talk all day about like how bright fails on like a ra- on a um, symbolic level, like a thematic level. Yeah. Now I think we should really talk about like what it means for Netflix 
to put out a movie like this because this was Netflix's like first big like production. This was mm-hmm. their for this was going to be kind of like just like it was going to be Max Landis's like masterpiece. It was yeah. going to be Netflix's first kind of like throwing the hat into the arena of like blockbuster filmmaking. I think it had like ninety million dollar budget, I believe, which was. I mean, for a Netflix movie, that's basically unheard of. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a relatively small budget compared to like the Avengers, like, like a major or studio. Star where Wars. The, I think the average cost of a film today is about one hundred and fifty million. Yeah. So ninety million mm-hmm. for us. I mean, without giving a theatrical run, mm-hmm. that means that they expect this to do numbers. They expect mm-hmm. it to be this really strong film. They had Will Smith money. For they God's had Will sake. Smith money, <laughs> and. I think I don't know if Will Smith's hurting for work or if his career's on the rocks, but like this dude needs to he needs to have some higher standards with the roles he picks. Might have just been a favor to David Ayer before. I mean, because a lot of um, David Ayer's kind of like posse from Suicide Squad um, show up, show up from the movie like Jay Hernandez who played Diablo in Suicide Squad and plays the, um, the 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 Alamo cop in this one. If if, if you need just like one more example of how racially tone deaf bright is there's a iconic scene where uh will smith kills a fairy Mm -hmm. and his his catchphrase is fairy lives don't matter today and uh yeah just just thank thank you david Ayer. (laughs) thank you for killing racism in 2018 with the the fairy don't matter line and like how would Like that's very obviously referencing the real life Black Lives Matter movement. Does does Black Lives Matter um, exist? Does, in yeah, yeah. Does, do Orc Lives Matter? Do does any of this like? It, it, it's uh, it's like Max Landis just thought that line was funny, and he just mm-hmm. would not let himself think about in it. In Max Landis's defense, I think it because um, before he kind of fell off the radar, he what he did defend the, the movie a little bit, and he said. Well, when he defended himself, didn't Ayer, Ayer said, throw a bunch of lines in? Ayer, Ayer significantly rewrote the script to make it more yeah, Ayer y. I believe the fairy lives don't matter line might have been, according to Landis, uh, um, ad lib from Will Smith, which again, is even harder to is even again, like harder to wrap your mind around. Will, what are you doing? <laughs> enough is enough. But yeah, so come on our podcast, Will. Come on our if, podcast. If you're that, if let's you're talk it out. Let, that, let's straighten for. Um, work nowadays, <laughs> but what what like back to your question of what this means for Netflix is I think what it means is Netflix is completely tone deaf. I think mm-hmm. that if you watch any of their bigger originals where they're really trying to break into like the pop culture stratosphere, look at Death mm-hmm. Note. It's Death another Note? Yeah. prime example of how creatively tone deaf, and it just mm-hmm. proves it doesn't matter how much money how much glitz and glamour you throw at a project. Mm-hmm. If you have a bad script, if you have incompetent directing, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And Netflix doesn't care. I, I'm just convinced that they do not mm-hmm. care. They don't really need to care because... Yeah, a lot of these tentpole movies are anchored speci- like entirely by name recognition. Yeah. Like Death Note movie. Like, of course... Uh, like mildly, like big budget Death Note movie is going to get a lot of attention from um, American audiences. Same with like a uh, cop drama starring Will Smith. 
Right. Um, another CM Life podcast, Raven Geeks, did an episode on Cloverfield. So we probably won't talk about Cloverfield too much in nah, this episode. We'll probably just like briefly mention it. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, Cloverfield. It was a new Cloverfield movie, which have like the past two have all been like pretty big events cinematically. Yeah. Um, within mainstream pop culture, and like this was another kind of like landmark like watershed moment for Netflix is that like they got a Cloverfield movie mm-hmm. and they announced it five five hours before they dropped it. Um I I watched it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Like there were I, I kid you not, there were moments where I would just be on my couch and I just mm-hmm. I had to be go on my phone. I it couldn't <laughs> I couldn't be bothered to invest intention into the movie. It was just so there there's a great reviewer on YouTube, YMS, Your Movie Sucks, mm-hmm. he did a great review of uh, Cloverfield Paradox, and he basically said exactly what I think is the case. Uh, Cloverfield Paradox was originally uh, written as this different movie. I believe mm. it was called, like, The God was, Gene. God, God or, Particle. God Particle, I yeah. remember, like, when it was announced, like, God Particle, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Then, like, it was, then, like, they announced, oh, no, it's going to be a Cloverfield movie. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it, and then, Literally, this movie feels like J.J. Abrams, who who produced the film, mm-hmm. got his hands on the script, saw an opportunity. Hey, guys, God Particle, it's cool and all. We should really, you know, market this as a Cloverfield movie, though. And we can throw in, like, ten minutes at the end of the film mm-hmm. to barely tie it in to anything mm-hmm. resembling the other two films. And the solely money because right of, in. Solely because it was a sci-fi movie. It's, like, the only... The only reasoning I can think of for like why this was a Cloverfield movie, yeah, it, it, it's mm-hmm. like there's monsters in those movies. There's a monster in this movie. It, mm-hmm. We'll we'll tie it together somehow. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? This movie has like nothing thematically in common with the last two Cloverfield movies, mm-hmm. plot wise, tonally. There's just like it. They have nothing in common. Mm-hmm. It's quite literally a case of just a studio rebranding a movie for making money off the title. Mm-hmm. And like it's it's sad that the biggest film streamer in the world, mm-hmm. you know, what people are saying is oh Netflix and Hulu, this is the future of cinema. Yeah. Like this is the best that they can give us really. Mm-hmm. And I I know that there's films like Mudbounds, Mudbound. I mean Mudbound, there's films like the Okja, um, yeah. Beast of No Nations, like their their first ever like Netflix movie that's like that made people say like wow, like this is actually like a great yeah, movie. There are some competent films, some pretty good films mm-hmm. released through Netflix. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that they're doomed to only release you know crap, but mm-hmm. when they sign a six movie deal with Adam Sandler <laughs> and they put out Bright, I lose all hope and mm-hmm. all respect for like whatever next cinematic achievement mm-hmm. they're gonna throw my way because. Six Adam Sandler movies, like he's already done three, and they all have like a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Ridiculous Six was accused of uh, all all this racial insensitivity on set. It's Mm -hmm. like, why? Why does Netflix feel the need to pander to the Adam Sandler market? Which does that even exist anymore? I can't. In 2018, is there really a hardcore Sandler market that they're trying to tap into? I I can't even imagine. (laughs) I. It's just. Those those business decisions, and you mentioned that like there was this thought for a while that like Netflix was going to be like the future of cinema, but like all of these decisions, um, just kind of point towards like them them just like exemplifying like everything that's wrong with um the move the 
like blockbuster, like mainstream yeah. movie um, making process. Like, They're very clearly just in it for a quick buck. And I was really hoping Netflix would do something like how A24 Studios is doing, where mm-hmm. they're picking up a lot of these smaller scripts and giving them the dis- the distribution that they normally wouldn't get. Mm-hmm. And it's paying off in some cases. It's paying off with films like Moonlight. It pays off with films like It Comes at Night, Get Out. Mm-hmm. Like, it paid off for them. They're making their money back and then some. Now they're blowing up. They're one of the most popular independent studios working today. Mm-hmm. Netflix just doesn't care. They just want to keep doing what they're doing. They think it it works, and it does mm-hmm. work because of this whole disconnect between audiences and critics. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's absurd that like nowadays, if a DC movie gets a bad score, oh, it's because critics are uh, being paid mm-hmm. by the student. Like, mm-hmm. no, people just don't like the movie. It, it's sad yeah. that, like, we have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And also, like, with the most recent Star Wars movie, like, that's one of the big... Yeah. That's one of the kind of main points of rhetoric that's thrown around um, um, for people who don't like the movie is that, oh, the reason it got so many good reviews from critics is that just Disney, like, they're all paid they're off. They're paid shills. Disney shills. <laughs> like, there's... Working for big Disney. It's kind uh, of, like, disrespect for, like, critics has al- has always existed in, like, um, like mo- the movie-going culture, but now... Partially, I guess, just because, like, the prevalence of, like, social media now, it's just becoming, like, more exacerbated. Yeah, because remember, if there's ever, like, a media source or a source of criticism that doesn't agree with mm-hmm. your preconceived idea, they must be paid by opposition mm-hmm. to try to take down the things that you like. It's just, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous, and it sucks that, you know, in 2018 with movies, we have to work with Netflix... And, like, these erratic fan bases. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just sucks that those are, like, the politics of film viewing and, and yeah. you know, experiencing it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Do, you think, do you think there's any hope for, like, Netflix's future? Do you think there's any um, way for them to, like, turn, turn themselves around and become, like, an actual respectable studio anymore? Yeah. Or do you think I, it's going to be more kind of, like, a Pacific Rim um, uh, scenario where like it's just like thing the bad movies are coming out um, at shorter intervals because like it was like death just like this past year it was Death Note and a couple months later it was um, Bright now then like just a month month after that it was Cloverfield Paradox yeah it's like all of this negativity around these films creates so much attention towards Netflix it's almost like mm-hmm. they intentionally know these films are going to create a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. Which in turn, people are going to watch them out of curiosity. Yeah. Which I mean, and because of like Netflix's um, profit model, that's really the only thing they need to do is generate buzz and get people to watch the movie. It doesn't matter. Really, like word of mouth doesn't really matter. They doesn't. They don't really have like box office to worry about. No, no. I mean, Nielsen just started reporting Netflix uh, streams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But as for like, if I'm optimistic, I always try to be optimistic when it comes to you know films or art or whatever and how you know I'm sure there's going to be creators that come along or there's going to be studios who come along that really really care and have a lot of integrity Mm -hmm. and you know they they get a new CEO in tomorrow who wants to totally revamp the model Mm -hmm. change what's going on Netflix can put out good good films I just wish they would do it more often and I wish that the good films made as much money as 
mm-hmm. ridiculous six, <laughs> you know, or bright. But unfortunately, they don't because, you know, uh, what's what's the most popular food in the world? McDonald's. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. It, it's the most appealing thing. Mm-hmm. No one would say Netflix is. I mean, uh, McDonald's is, you know, high culinary art. Mm-hmm. But it's good for what it is. If you need a quick bite, you go to McDonald's. If you need yeah. quick entertainment, you go to Netflix. Mm-hmm. But I think anyone in their right mind, if they went to McDonald's and the burger was rotten, they'd return it and they'd want something better. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about the current Netflix situation. Like, I yeah. get you're not trying to be high art, but I don't want a rotten burger. <laughs> that that's. Basically. I think they just need like just a higher standard of quality, um, exactly, and like a higher standard to reach for than just reaching for viewership numbers, and um, kind of accepting whatever you get. Um, when it comes to that, I mean, they for I mean, kind of on the bright side, like they they are, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh god, um, they are, um streaming uh martin scorsese's next movie the irishman oh yeah in in 2019 um jeremy saunier's next movie the guy who made um blue ruin and green room like that's going to be on netflix this year um there's a lot there's no shortage of great movies to watch on netflix mm -hmm. it's just i I don't know what the disconnect is with films that they originally put out you know i mean it's it's almost like a a spectacle Mm -hmm how just unimpressive some of the films are. I mean, I, I have a list right here of every single Netflix original film. Uh, probably half of them I've never heard of. I've never seen anyone say anything about them. And half, more than half of them have critical scores well below like the 40% margin. Mm-hmm. But the audience scores, <laughs> even for Bright, are pretty pretty okay considering, you know, Two percent from critics, forty from audiences. Mm, I think yeah. that's that's what Netflix cares about. They see that disconnect, so they know we don't got to appeal to the critics. Mm-hmm. We only need to appeal to, you know, the young people who are eating Doritos and just binge watching. Mm-hmm. Bright does that. I mean, I I ate some Doritos as I watched it. <laughs> it works. You know, they they they're on to me. They 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 they're geniuses. So yeah, that's essentially what we think of Bright. Um, not not a great movie. I, I wouldn't Could recommend be it. Could be better. Could I, I I actually would recommend watching it. It is a very, it's yes. a very inter- entertaining train wreck. I guess would would be the only way to describe it. Yeah, I, I'd recommend it in the same way that I'd recommend like, I don't know any bad the movie room, that maybe. The, any bad movie that you can watch and like tell yourself like um. Wow, like that. This is how not to make a movie. Exactly. Like, um, I remember, I think it was um Jason Reitman who said like, it's it's if you're a young filmmaker, it can kind of be like depressing, or like a young creative, it can kind of be depressing to watch good movies and see like, wow, I, I will never like be able to do something like that. Whereas like watching bad movies, like that's you're like that's all I have to do. I just have to do better than that. I just have to be better than that. And, and Holy crap, my career is gonna be a cakewalk. <laughs> that's all I gotta improve upon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been Moving Pictures this week. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, I've been Brent Gunn, your host. I've been Mitchell Kakalka, your co-host. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.